this from a headline. Sydney building nightmare set to cost first home buyer her life savings. It's enough to strike fear into the heart of anyone looking to get onto the property ladder. What went wrong and how could this have been avoided? Welcome to your first home buyer guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today we're talking about one first home buyer's risky journey into the world of brand new apartments. Now, this story hit the newspapers in 2021, and we're going to run through what happened and how this buyer may have been able to avoid all the stress had she approached things differently. But before we get into that, what is your special house this week, Megan? This looks particularly intriguing because I'm not sure if it's... It's like a childhood (laughs) game, isn't it? It's (laughs) colourful, there's lines and circles, and it reminds me of Mousetrap. (laughs) Yeah, the marble going down, down, down. (laughs) Going down. And my children had something really similar to this when they were were really little, but this is actually an apartment complex in China. And I just love how they've got different um, floor coverings and these balconies. I actually don't know what how, you know, how big they are inside. There seems to be a lot of circular balconies on the outside, but it, it, it attracted me, I think, for the colourful nature of, of the way that they were um, they were doing the outdoor areas. Individualising each Very uh, So you apartment. wouldn't get that in Turak, would you? You know, everybody has to have the same curtains and the same exterior and you can't hang your <laughs> washing out. And, you know, like there's a lot of bylaws in um, and for good reason because uh, a lot of body corporates don't like people to be too unique in their uh, decorations. Yeah. This one's certainly championing individuality. <laughs> Have a look at the video. If, you, it. <laughs> if you're listening to this, look, watch one of the videos. <laughs> All right. So let's kick off with this um, story, which would have been extraordinarily stressful for this mm. particular buyer. Smart cookie, this woman, actually. This is the opening sentence in the article we're basing this episode on. Ready? A Sydney apartment buyer stands to lose her life savings or be forced to buy into a 300-unit development that she has been warned contains major defects. Now, this is... Yeah, absolutely frightening. And and I will sort of say at the outset of this episode, I have tried to track this person down Mm. because I really want to interview her. 
Mm. Uh, but the journalist that uncovered the story in the first place, well, she didn't respond to my Twitter <laughs> reach out, um, outreach. And I, and and in my Googling, I've not been able to come across the, the woman. So we've, we've included the uh, links to actually two articles on the topic in the show notes so you can read up on it yourself. Mm. And, and there are some particularly timing things that hopefully wouldn't apply uh, moving forward, not in New South Wales anyway, but they could apply elsewhere. So let us just sort of take you through the story because this really is a situation of being between a rock and a hard place. But there's when a lot a, to learn. Well, absolutely. Where, where's, there's a buyer. She's about to settle on, on an off-the-plan purchase, but she is aware of really significant defects and you're staring down the barrel of, well, what do I do? Do I cut and run and I lose at least $60,000 so the or do deposit I face that the she had to put down to get the contract. Yep, that's it. Or do I face the prospect of potentially years of litigation, inconvenience, and cost uh, by going ahead with the purchase? So, you know, let's pull it apart because this is a bit of a nightmare. What a nightmare. Yeah. The buyer who's an engineer. So, this, this lady's got a bit of an idea of what's going on, credit to her. Now, it does become relevant as, as the story unfolds. After saving her 10% deposit, she signed a contract for an off-plan unit in North Sydney in 2017. So, you know, these things take a while to come out of the ground and to complete. So, a long time to wait. Yeah. Yep. And the building was completed in August 2020. So we've actually recorded another episode on buying off the plan, which is around sunset clauses in Queensland where mm. the building didn't get completed in time. Um, but this one was completed. And so she organised to conduct a pre-settlement inspection. And Good. she did something that most people wouldn't do, uh, which was, and this is because she's an engineer, she approached this as you would expect an engineer to approach it by bringing along an expert. So absolutely 100%. Um, you know, kudos to her. She took a guy who was a registered architect, a qualified engineer and a licensed builder. So a pretty good pedigree. Mm. Someone who you'd think would be able to really give her some really amazing advice here. And he did. Because good. what he discovered was alarming. And to quote the article, uh, it's just going to quote, I think he said this, the building did not comply with the National Construction Code or Australian standards. Um this guy's laser measurements showed the fire evacuation path and parking space did not meet minimum size requirements and there was insufficient drainage. That's alarming. Like fire escape path, fire mm -hmm. evacuation path. It's pretty important. Also, a parking space. In a 300 space. unit complex. Yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of people there you got to get out if there's a fire. Um, yeah. But also a parking space that you supposedly need to park a car in. Mm. Not much good if it's actually be smaller than requirements. How does that impact resale too, for that matter? Absolutely, so a lot yeah. of these. And then drainage. You know, we we took, we just we just recorded an episode, previous episode, episode eighty one eighty, um, <laughs> talked about insurance and and the effect of climate change and water and so forth and insurance premiums. If we've got mm -hmm. a building here that has insufficient drainage, then all automatically I'm thinking, oh, water issues. They are so hard to um, rectify post-completion. It'd be interesting actually to know how it panned out really because this was this was released in April, May, March, I think, sorry, 2021. We're recording this well into 2022 after there's been floods pretty much everywhere. Mm, <laughs> so, mm. and it, you know, I should go and do a little a investigation, go and mm. see what's happened there. But anyway. anyway so the, council, the lessons here than the outcome. That's exactly right. <laughs> the council weighed in as well. 
Okay, so this wasn't just her consultant that she took along with her. He mm. went, hang on a minute, this building doesn't comply. The fire safety coordinator at the Hillshire Councils in the Hillshire uh, District in northwest Sydney said that council would issue a fire safety order and refer the private certifier to disciplinary authorities for investigation. So this wasn't just Serious one stuff. buyer and her overly sensitive um, mm. advisor here. This was actually where the actual local council was in support to say this building isn't good enough. Yeah, and, and, and this stuff. is really serious stuff. This is not just minor mm. paint um, needing to be fixed up or handrail or a towel rail being a little bit shaky. Like this is, this is pretty serious stuff. So, But why was the buyer only just discovering this some three years after putting her money down? Well, and we encourage you to go back and listen to an episode that we recorded with uh, Dr. Nicole Johnson back in episode 56. Now, she is a... Uh, a researcher who gets into a whole bunch of things around I'm a multi-owner or multi, well, they call it multi-owner living. Um, and she's written reports on building defects in these new buildings. Mm. And so that episode is really interesting because it teach it would tell you all about the process that a buyer goes through before they have to settle on an apartment and, and the lack of transparency that buyers have. And so really she only got an opportunity to inspect it when the developers said, right, we're ready to settle and you've got, what, 14 days or some small period Whatever of time the that they're given says, to settle. Got, yep. yep. And so that's the reason that this could go on and this could be brewing for three years. Every single buyer completely unaware. And as it turns out, she's the only buyer that actually objected, So, which means that 299 other buyers mm. Um, didn't know to even check. Yep. Yep. What does that didn't, say? Didn't, and let's go into it because there's a lot of evidence here that is rather profound. So, so what did she do? Well, she sent off a letter of letter of demand uh, that the defects be rectified, or she wanted to terminate the contract and get her money back. Um, the developer came back saying, basically. Too bad, so sad. We have an occupation certificate, which is a New South Wales requirement, and that's all they needed under the terms of the contract. Remembering, of course, that the contract was drawn up by their solicitors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Go back to that article. Yeah. Uh, previous episode about buying off plan and the things that you need to know and also the yeah. sunset clause one that we did recently. So she got the copy of the occupation certificate and found that some of the certificates, some of the so an occupation certificate is like the overarching thing at the end of it that says, yeah, this is right for for people to live in according to you know certain categories. But there's all sorts of other certifications that have to come together from appropriately qualified and licensed people who sign off on different aspects of the building. So mm. what she found was some of these certificates were signed off by unqualified people, not qualified to sign them. Some had no qualifications and others had qualifications in different fields to the certifications they were signing off on. It just blows my mind. I know. Some of them have been disqualified. <laughs> like it, it was it, the, in the article, read the article if you want to go into more detail because it goes into, I think, electrical sign up by plumbers or is it plumbing sign up by electricians. I mean, it was. And some it, were already disqualified. So, that, as yeah. you say, they actually were not legally allowed to participate in the industry at all. It was dodgy as, but the fact is, they had an occupation certificate. So, um, the problem with that is that. The, but legally, they're going, well, we've got what we need in order to make you settle. And she's like, yeah, but what you've got is dodgy. 
there's sort of two different arguments. Yes, and they're they going to push for settlement quickly because it's going to be a lot quicker for them to push for settlement than it is going to be for her to prove that the occupation certificate is dodgy. Yeah. Then comes the clincher, potentially even more alarming, is that further investigation after a small period of time showed that some of the documents appeared to have been altered, presumably mm-hmm. by someone who realised the jig is up, you know, perhaps the wrong people have signed these documents and and, yeah. and some bloke called Mother made some changes to the documentation <laughs> according to the article. This is nuts, isn't it? It's like, who's Mother? No one can seem to comedy. work out who Mother even was. <laughs> now, things have changed in New South Wales since this, and we will go into that in a minute, but you, you've got a situation that used to be the case where these certifiers were sort of in bed, if you like, with developers. The developer's giving the certifier the work and then the certifier is meant to basically be the police person who says, well, yes, you have or you haven't done it properly. So, mm-hmm. of course, you can you can sort of hear the conflict or potential for conflict of interest, can't you, when a developer's going, well, look, I'm not going to give you any more work because you're too hard on my developments. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can sort of see how this could all come about. And this is why one of the problems that New South Wales had in particular, but we've got defects problems in, in every state and, and jurisdiction in this country. It's yep. not just New South Wales, but mm. have to say, I think New South Wales might have been the worst. Well, they've got more developments too, let's face it. So you've but- got more numbers. <laughs> Of, of these things happening. More um, first-time, second-time developers that don't have the runs on the board. Um, and, and look, I don't know this developer. I have no no um, uh, opinion on the developer whatsoever. So we're more talking about the lessons out of this than mm. than, than the individuals themselves. But, um, the, you know, how, how, how did this even, how many of these purchases actually went ahead without even knowing that these issues existed? Well, all of them. Because oh, yeah, all of them except her. <laughs> except for her. Because she was the, the a spokesperson for the developer actually actually said that, that she was the only buyer to contest settlement. So <laughs> it's that just mind-boggling for me. Mm. It's just everyone's gone so oh, okay, cool, it's ready to go. Or they just assume it's bigger Got than the they can cope with. Or, right. Yeah. Mm. Um and you know But also waited a long time, don't forget, Veronica. So probably a lot of those people were very, very keen to get into their homes, get settled, start nesting and and live the life that they've been dreaming of for those three years. A hundred percent. And look, as I said, I will get into some of the things that have changed in New South Wales in a moment. But one of the things that have changed is that um a bunch of private certifiers have actually been struck off. Um, because this right. was discovered to be a, a real issue and there were a bunch of sort of really dodgy recalcitrant certifiers who seemed to be very unrepentant, just unwilling to change their ways. And, in fact, even in my business, when we're looking at uh, properties that have been renovated, that we're looking at buying, the amount of times we actually come up with occupation certificates that have been issued by certifiers that have since been struck off. So wow. it's it's it was a major issue in New South Wales. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we can come across it in our small buyers agency business and mm. as often enough as we have been um, says something around it. Yeah, and now, I guess you buy a lot more than the average person. You, you, you talk about dozens of properties a year, but dozens and dozens of properties a year, but mm. um, you, you're right. It, you, you're also a small geographical part of Sydney. So it's and we don't even, buy brand new apartments either. We're not sure houses. <laughs> So it's not just brand new. Um, But anyway, she was issued with a legal demand to settle on the apartment in the building, which both she and the council knew had defects. 
the developer denied it, which means they wouldn't be fixing those defects. So we've got a real David and Goliath standoff, you know. So, and and she, at one point, she was taking them to court over this, but she mm. actually had to pull out of legal action due to the mounting costs. I mean, it's a first time guy. She's well, used yeah. all of her money on her deposit. Well, <laughs> well you know, she... Oh, no, it's mortifying, and also you miss scratching your head, going, "But what are these other people? Why don't? Why doesn't anybody else know? Yeah. And how would she even find the other buyers? That's the thing. The developer at this point has all the information, mm-hmm. and her as an individual buyer, and where would she even start to try to work out? Well, who else is bought in this building? It, yeah, because so, they're not registered until you know after settlement, yeah. and then it goes through a process, and then and then everything registers and and, and becomes available through some sort of form or another. Yeah. But you know what the interesting thing is, and and this is another reason why we're so um, you know concerned about people doing our plan is nobody gets the opportunity to walk through these buildings until they're complete because they're construction sites, and you're not mm. allowed on that. You're not allowed to go in there and see th- how things are going, or or have someone independent on your behalf check how the works are going and so forth. You are completely at the mercy of the controller of the site until it is completed and they're ready to hand over. So you can't even go in there before the pre-settlement inspection to check it out. That's assuming that you know what you're looking at if you saw it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Really? So um, the buyer was quoted as saying, I work in the building and services, sorry, in the building services and construction industry. So when they say that it's not compliant, I know how serious that is. Honestly, it's just a nightmare for me. So she Mm. was more educated than the average buyer. Mm. Um, But even she hadn't had the opportunity to get through earlier. She might have recognised some of these things, Mm. um, but, you know, didn't and couldn't. So who could protect her? And this is the big thing, right? Mm. Her complaints to the building commissioner, because in New South Wales now we have a building commissioner, he's um, been in place, uh, David Chandler, I actually think he's doing some amazing work. He's been in place since the government um, started to suddenly take building defects seriously after we had two buildings Mm. um, that were evacuated being too dangerous uh, to live, for being too dangerous to live in. There's Opal Towers and Mascot Towers. so basically the building commissioner direct, redirected her complaints to the Department of Fair Trading, which initially told her that the matter was a contractual dispute and not within its jurisdiction. So you got a Department of Fair Trading saying, sorry, we can't help you because that's a contract between you and a developer. Yeah. Whoa, that's yeah. a bit scary. Yeah. Now, the reason the building commissioner was hamstrung and couldn't help at that point was due to the timing of that building being certified before he had come into this new job and had the power to intervene in such situations. Mm. So now, um, since then, he's got the he's got the power to basically shut mm. down these sites if they mm. don't comply and force them to rectify. Mm. But because this sort of slotted into that period of time when he was just getting up and running in his in his new role, um, this sort of fell in the cracks. Pardon the mm. pun. Now. Because uh, he was quoted as saying to the consultant who accompanied her to the pre-settlement inspection, once an occupation certificate has been issued, the developer could rightly or wrongly force buyers to settle. Now, if you're interested, I'm actually interviewing David Chandler again on The Elephant in the Room, probably coming up in a few months, but we interviewed him on The Elephant in the Room podcast if you want to listen to interview with him back in episode 176, um, which was really interesting because he's got a huge job to do but I think the government really, um, after those tragic evacuations, has really um, decided to take this seriously. Mm. But I guess the big problem here for this buyer is what could she have done 
differently. And you know what? Other than just simply not buy off the plan, which is a lot of what we're about here, to be quite frank, there isn't a lot that she could have done to protect herself. Yeah, I, I, I think that's alarming. Can- it, it is alarming and, and I'm so glad to hear that things are changing for the positive down there and it's, it's great to hear you f- feeling very positive about that. But you know, one of the things that I think is really important, whether you're buying off the plan or even existing development, is to actually research the developers mm. because you can gain a lot of information and insight. If you can't find any history on them and this is their first development, I, I'd say that's a bit of a red flag because just like an electric car, you, you, you don't necessarily want to be the earlier doctor of, of, of someone's new adventure um, while, in, uh, you know, they use you as their teething ground to, to work out whether they can or can't do this right. So if there's no background on a, a developer, it may be because they're new or it may be because they've shut down another company and started a new entity because they had issues with the old one. So um, important that if there's no history, that can be as alarming as if there is history. And look, that shutting down or creating different um companies for each development is a very, very common practice mm-hmm. and lawyers will recommend their clients do it because it's basically good practice from their point of view. And risk manager so, for the developer. Yeah. So the problem is, of course, that it is difficult to actually track the history or the track record of developers and builders for that matter because there's so much of this phoenix going on, phoenixing going on, which is basically where they fold up a company every time that they finish a development. Um, and so I think you've got to err on the side of caution. If you can't get information, just assume it's bad, you know, really. <laughs> yes. because if well, really proud, look at the directors. The, the, well, who's, yeah. Who are the individuals if, behind it? But even then, I've tried researching some developers and builders. It's actually very difficult to get this information. Mm. And so if they're proud of their track record, they're going to publish it. Yep. They're going to be out there. They're going to give you opportunity to talk to um, buyers of previous developments. Even you know, send you to have a look at previous developments. Absolutely. I mean, a really proud developer who's been in the game for a while is going to say to you, yep, this is what we're building here. Go and have a look at that one, that one, and that one. And and you'll probably talk to people in the foyer of those buildings when you're we're having a look at their projects. Absolutely. Because the fact is that all buildings have issues. Mm. You know, it's how mm. they handle those issues. A, are they in the design problem were they in the the building problem are they in the follow-up problem i mean uh, part of the process they've all got i mean buildings are buildings they've always got little things that will go wrong how do they handle that how major are those things how you know diabolical do they duck for cover i mean there's there's history there but if you can't access any history um they're either just started and like like megan says you don't want to risk you know you don't want to be their guinea pig or they're deliberately concealing it um, and you don't want, that's just too risky from my point of view. So mm. I think you want to see a developer and builder really in, in, and you want to see that they've done a lot of work together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because well. developers can use different builders. They're not one mm. and the same. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, I'd, I'd be looking for evidence of that. And if there isn't any, I'd run. Yeah. The pre-settlement inspections are really interesting because, you know, it's important to do it, but actually what this showed is it didn't give her any protection because the occupation certificate had actually already been issued, even though when she did investigation there was evidence of potential fraud um, and, and changing of that information. So we, we always, and part of the process in your first home buyer guide, one of the steps is to do the pre-settlement inspection because what you want to do is inspect the property to make sure it is in the same condition and, and as expected as it was at the time of the contract. 
which is a bit difficult when you're that buying when off it's the off plan. plan. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't exist at the time of the contract. And it was nothing when she put the contract on this property. It was just ground. (laughs) Now, the building commissioner in New South Wales has made a difference and the timing of this building's completion was unfortunate for all the buyers, really. Mm. But there are plenty of other buildings where buyers are not protected. Um, So anything sort of older than this and even... Maybe not the so first. About pre twenty twenty is that sort of when things changed? Or uh, yeah, I mean, when did he come in? Mascot Tower. I'm trying to remember now. Twenty nineteen, I think he actually um, was it. It was Christmas twenty eighteen, I do believe, when Mascot. Well, sorry, when Opal Towers. Mm. It was Christmas Eve. They all got evacuated. Yeah, uh, and Mascot Towers was the following year. So um, yeah, so it's only a few a few years ago. So the building commissioner's been in place a couple of years. Um, there's plenty of buildings that sort of there's plenty of buildings that are impacted even though you might not be buying them off the plan and they might be 2020 new it buildings. was just I just yeah. did a quick google 2020 so it's only 2 years ago so there's no real protection there's a massive big gap for protections of near new buildings even in New South Wales in particular. Mm. Um, And you've got to also remember that Mascot Towers, a lot of people think, oh, as long as it's five years old, as long as it's 10 years old, but that Mascot Towers, that building that started sinking in one June evening, I think it was, um, in 2019, I'm pretty certain, it was 12 years old when it started collapsing, you know? Mm. So we, you know, these are building defects and ongoing, I guess, lack of management of, of building issues is is a is a liability that impacts every single owner in these buildings. So you do You've have to, to have your radar on, haven't you? Yeah. You do yeah. need there's a whole extra layer of due diligence. So we've done a number of episodes on this. So just go through our catalogue and, and pull them out if you are looking at buying strata. And but also do the course because we'll take you through it step by step. Do the course but also Veronica, you have to when you engage with a conveyancer or solicitor, you have to have a specialist that will mm. help you understand what the risks are when you buy a plan or near new or you know, less than 20 years old. If you have someone who has has actually had experience in all of these types of different areas, then you, you can go into things with your eyes wide open and understanding the risks. And I think that's the thing. There is nothing that's risk-free in any part of life, but certainly not in property. There's nothing that ris- is risk-free. But if you understand the risks and your comfortable to a degree with those then the surprises can be um less you know have less of that detrimental impact on you both emotionally and financially because we're not just talking about financial impact here now there are people who have had massive emotional impact from from some of their livability issues talk about a mental health crisis boy oh boy Mm -hmm. i mean living in a building with all that sort of stuff and waiting and trying to to negotiate with people to get it fixed and the cost and the stress it'd be awful we want you to avoid that but people who are stuck in it and and then you can't sell because of course no buyer's going to want to buy into that when they know that and they know it's there so it's a real issue now we don't actually know ultimately whether this buyer settled on the apartment um as i said despite your detective work (laughs) <laughs> I've despite yes, despite me trying to find out and trying to track her down. Um, so if anybody out there does know who we're talking about and actually happens to know this buyer, because if you look in the oh, we won't put her name, we no, won't say her name, but there's yeah. two articles there with her name in it. Um, then you know, see if she'll come and have a chat to us because we'd love to uh, to have a, a follow up story on this and bring that to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.